realize is that sometimes in life you just need your perspective changed like and like we're all human right so like like I always say like I am you know dreadfully and fallingly human but that's not the whole story that's just one side of who I am and who you are it's like we're human and so we have those moments where you're like I'm done I just want to mail it in but you realize that when you hit that point you know that's not the end of the story except every once in a while we begin to think it is the end of the story do you need a perspective change today does your life feel like it's hopeless In today's message, Pastor Daniel is going to share the story of Naomi to show you why today is not the end of your story. Naomi faced incredible hardship, famine, fleeing to another country, and the death of her husband and sons. She reached a point where she was hopeless, but God had other plans. Stick around to hear how God can change your perspective. Here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Ruth, chapter 1, as he begins his message, and everything goes wrong. Have you ever had one of those days, or maybe one of those weeks or months where you're just like, all right, that's it, I'm done. Like, I'm just, I'm throwing in the towel. I'm so over this. Am I the only one who's ever had that feeling? You no, know, I was like, oh, okay, so we're all in this together. You know, I'll be honest with you, I had this experience just a couple weeks back. And I'm not saying this for any, like, I'm not, I don't want, like, sympathy, appreciation, or anything like that. I'm just being real. So, you know, God's doing so much here at Crossroads. But sometimes in the midst of all that God is doing, all of the opinions kind of eat away at you a little bit. You know, you guys know what it's like, right? Like, so, like, last night I made dinner for my family, and there was, like, 19 opinions on the dinner. You know what I mean? And so you know how this is, right? Like, you go to your job, and there's a couple of people, and there's a hundred opinions on how you do your job. And so, and then you put it in the context of a large church like Crossroads, and what you realize is that, you know, on any given sermon, you know, there's thousands and thousands of people who listen, and there's like, you know, a million different opinions about what you said. And so, over time, what happens is, is some of the stuff starts to eat away at you. Like, where it's like, you know, because you know that it's impossible, no matter what you do, to make everyone happy. And if I try and make everyone happy, I'm not going to make Jesus happy. And so either way, I'm stuck, you know. So I had one of those days where, like, you know, after God did all this crazy stuff and and some other kind of unique crazy stuff went on, I remember I just was like, you know what? I'm done. And I start, you know, you start to plan your retirement. You know what I mean? And, And so, like, so, like, I'm like kind of mulling and I'm kind of like Yosemite Sam. You guys know, you, you know, you're sucker and sucker tash. I'm that guy, you know, and I'm like, I'm like gnawing on it and I'm like planning my retirement and I'm like, but you know, I, I am in my early 40s so I really can't retire right now. So, so I do need a job, you know what I mean? But I'm like, I'm planning like my, like I'm done in the ministry and listen, don't anyone get any bright ideas. You, you know, like you don't get off that easy with me. I just got here. So I did what I always do in that situation. I got in my car. Right, and I get in my car, and I turn on my really loud, cacophonous jazz that I'm like the only person who enjoys. And I drive, and I work through all the feelings, you know what I mean? And I have the feelings, I acknowledge them, and I work through it. And I'll never forget, and so I was having one of those moments in working through the feelings that I'm like, yeah, man, retiring is the best thing for you right now. You know what I mean? So I was like, I, I wasn't like coming out the other end, and sure enough, I pull up to the stop sign, 
And all of a sudden I look up and there's somebody who I think has the best job in the world, the person who holds the signs for the companies. And this dude was literally, he was doing like X games of sign. He was like flipping the thing around, catching up on his back. He was dropping his foot and he was stalling it. And I'm like sitting there watching and like the light changed. I'm like staring at this guy. And I'm like, this guy's got the best job. And so I go a little more ways and I'm like, man, that would be a good job. And then I get to the next one and there's another person with a sign and this guy, now this was the coolest guy I'd seen. This guy had the sign and he was air guitaring and headbanging. So he had his earbuds and he's just like this and he's like rock. And I'm like, that dude's got a good gig. Cause like, I just imagine he's listening to his favorite tunes and he's just like rocking. And then I get to the next person and this one's a girl and she's standing there with her hands up and she's got her earbuds in. And I'm like, that's my new ministry. I'm like, cause like, you know, like what a great gig. Like you got your earphones on. You're just enjoying the moment. You're kick flipping the sign. You're air guitar on the sign. You're just glory in Jesus with the sign. But then I started feeling a little bad because I'm like, you know, like, I mean, but I, like I could serve Jesus. I'm like, well, maybe I'll like be a sign person for Crossroads. That's what I started thinking. I'll be the sign person for Crossroads, you know, because I, like, I still want to do some ministry. I just don't want to have to deal with everyone's junk, you know, and I got my own junk in the midst of it. But then it dawned on me, like, you know, like, I just think that the sign flippers are cool. But you can imagine someone going and being like, I can't believe your sign flipper out there is like air guitaring, like the pizza sign. Like our company's more important than that. You know, and then I got kind of, I got brought back to the earth a little bit, you know, because what I realize is that sometimes in life, you just need your perspective changed. Like, and like, we're all human, right? So like, like I always say, like, I am, you know, dreadfully and fallingly human. But that's not the whole story. That's just one side of who I am and who you are. It's like we're human. And so we have those moments where you're like, I'm done. I just want to mail it in. But you realize that when you hit that point, you know that's not the end of the story. Except every once in a while we begin to think it is the end of the story. But deep down in your heart of hearts, if you allow the Lord to give you perspective all of a sudden, those moments actually become some of the most beautiful moments where you grow. And I bring this up, and you'll see as we study, as we break open this series that we're calling Oasis, studying the book of Ruth. You think about what an oasis is. Oasis is in the midst of a dry, deserty season when you find a place of water and refreshment. You know, I think about what an oasis is, right? It's like you're traveling, and it's harsh and it's dry then all of a sudden you come into a place where it's green and there's water and there's refreshment now you and i know that really the oasis for us in a broken world is jesus in the midst of a dry parched existence jesus is that living water that welcoming place where you can sit down and rest a while and get some refreshment but can we be honest that sometimes in the midst of the, the dreariness and the dryness, sometimes it's hard to find that oasis, isn't it? Even though Jesus is right there with you, you know that, but it's like you get so caught up in so many feelings and so many things. And so I believe that God wants to meet us individually in really powerful ways, because even if you're not in a dry, deserty season right now, you know that there's seasons in your life spiritually. It's not always the most amazing experience. And sometimes there's just moments of 
malaise in the midst of so many beautiful things. And I think that Jesus wants to do a really special work in all of our lives as we study the book of Ruth together. And we're going to see how God uses this idea of a place of rest in the midst of all the trials and struggles of the world. He's going to use a whole bunch of different things in this story to get us at the truest rest, which is Jesus himself. So to break this open, open up in your Bibles to the book of Ruth chapter one. Ruth chapter one, as we begin this journey that we're calling Oasis in the book of Ruth. Of course, if you don't like reading paper books, your phone is smarter than you are. It's pretty amazing. So you just pull out that mobile phone. You could say, hey, uh, Siri, hey, uh, Google, Ruth one, and it'll pop up on your phone or take, open up your favorite browser window, type in Ruth chapter one. We're gonna take the whole chapter today. All of Ruth 1 as we study together. Now, if you're looking for the book of Ruth and you're flipping around the Bible, you could miss it. It's only a four-chapter book. And so it's the eighth book in your Bible. So you have the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then you have the book of Joshua, Judges, and then Ruth. So it's Ruth's just between Judges and 1 Samuel. So if you get to 2 Samuel, turn left. If you're in Leviticus, turn right. And it's only a couple pages. Jumping right on in, it says this, Ruth Chapter one, verse one. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife was Naomi and the names of his two sons were Malon and Shilion. Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpah. And the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died. And the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Now, to get this thing going, I'll say it this way, that your messy life happens in context, okay? Your messy life happens in context. Really, this first five verses, it sets the entire context that the book of Ruth happens in. And you realize almost right away that the situation is messy, Right? Because it begins, notice what it says, the very beginning of verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. Now, the time when the judges ruled, giving broad brush dates, the book of Judges runs between 1,400 years before Jesus to about 1,000 years before Jesus. So if you want like kind of broad brush numbers, Moses was about 1,500 years before Jesus. The kingdom of Israel is established with Samuel and Saul and David about a thousand years before Christ, just to kind of put the thing into some sort of context. So the book of Judges runs about 1400 to about a thousand years before Christ. And if you've read the book of Judges, you realize that the book of Judges most common phrase as the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Which obviously sets the context for a pretty messy experience. And so when it says that this took place in the time that the judges ruled, this was a time of great cultural issues for the children of Israel. Right? And the whole cycle of the book of Judges is the children of Israel decide not to honor God. So God allows opposing nations to come in and oppress the people and then God will raise up a judge who will function as a deliverer and then there'll be some calm for a little bit until the cycle begins again. 
So in the midst of what we could consider cultural turmoil, there's also a famine in the land. Now, when we read there's a famine in the land, we don't think about it all that often, but you got to realize this was before Costco existed. And it was also in a time, not even before Costco existed, but before there was a food industry that gave you food that could sit in your pantry for a dozen years and still taste as good as it did on the day you bought it. Like the whole edible food-like substances industry. Kind of looks like food, it kind of pretends to be food, but it really isn't. So if there was a famine in the land, not only was there a cultural upheaval, but now people are starving. There's a famine, there's no water, so there's no food for livestock. There's no water, there's no vegetables, there's no grain. So you realize, this is messy, right? And in the midst of this famine, the story now focuses on one person or one family. Notice it says that there was a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah. He went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Verse 2, the name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to the country of Moab and remained there. So in the midst of this famine, this one family led by a man named Elimelech. Now, Elimelech in the Hebrew literally means my God is king or God the king. He's married to a woman named Naomi, and Naomi literally means lovely or pleasant. So you have my God, the king, married to the lovely, pleasant woman, and they have two kids. It's like your perfect little nuclear family. Now, what we do learn about, now, we'll get to with the daughters in a second, so don't anybody think I'm knocking girls. Okay. Anyway, so we find out they live in a place called Bethlehem in Judah. Now, I think that's important. Here's why. The name Bethlehem in Hebrew literally means the house of bread. Beit is house, lechem in Hebrew is bread. Now, why do you think I'm telling you that? There's a couple other important people who were born in Bethlehem in Judah, right? Who was born in Bethlehem? Jesus. Also, the man we know as King David was born there. Do you think it's by chance that this is happening in and around Bethlehem? No. See, Jesus was born in the house of bread because he is the bread of life. How powerful is that? So I'm going to be tying this in as we go. Now, notice it's Bethlehem in Judah. So this is within the, the area of Judah. And of course, what tribe was Jesus from? Judah. That's why he's known as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. So I'm bringing this in because all of this is going to kind of come on into the story as we go. Now, what's also interesting, and I just wanted to bring it up, that you notice that they're called Ephrathites. And in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that great prophecy about the coming of Jesus, it says that he comes from Bethlehem, Ephrathah. So Ephrathah was another name for Bethlehem. Then you might be like, well, why is that the case? Well, listen, you know, we live here in the Portland metro area. And so there's other names for Portland, right? What can you call Portland? The Rose City. You can call it Bridgetown, right? Just like for us here in Vancouver, we're also known as Vantucky. So I just bring that up because there's multiple names for places, right? Now, what we find out, of course, is this family moves 50 miles to Moab because there's a famine and they're trying to find sustenance. But what we find out there is that in verse 3, of course, Elimelech dies. So now all of a sudden, there's a famine in the land. They go to Moab and Naomi loses her husband, but she's still got her two sons. And then it says her two sons... Malon and Chilion take wives of Moab, right? So Orpah 
and Ruth, right? So the two sons get married, but then we find out, of course, that both Malon and Chilion also died. So they've been in Moab for 10 years. Naomi has lost her husband, lost her two sons, and over a decade has passed. Now, would you say that that's messy? Yes, it is. And this is the context where this happens. Now, the reason I bring this up, remember I said your messy life happens in context? One of the things we're always trying to do with the scriptures is we want to understand it in the context that it's happening in. But we also want to learn how the Spirit of God can take that and translate it into our life. So for you today, maybe your context is this happened in the time when Donald Trump was the president and insert whatever your geopolitical issues are going on in the world today. And then your story starts to unfold. See, it happens in a context. What is the context that your messy life exists in? See, one of the things that I've found is that everyone's life is messy, but we really struggle to admit it. But I always say that life is messy That's true, but what is also true? That Jesus is real. I wrote that book honestly because of that, because it's like, I'm like, everyone's life is messy, whether you want to admit it or not. Things don't quite work out the way you want it to. You got your plan, and when does our plans ever really work out? Or when they do work out, often the unintended consequences of it working out is not working out, right? So we have this indelibly messy existence, but the truth isn't only that life is messy, it's also that if you were allowed Jesus to be the Lord of the mess of your life, now all of a sudden he leverages that mess to bring apart and bring into existence things that he wants. And so one of the things that I have found over and over and over again is that if you're willing to trust Jesus, he transforms the messes of your life. But for many people, the messes of their lives drive them away from Jesus, not to Jesus. They see the messes of their lives as liabilities and not assets to Jesus. But when you bring your messy life to an amazing savior, it becomes a spot of amazing transformation. Naomi lost everything, but she did have her two daughter-in-laws. But I was reminded of this verse. I think it applies really important to not only this situation, but to all of our messy lives. It's, Psalm 27, verses 13 and 14, where it says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would have seen the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Now, can I be honest with you? That Psalm was written years and years after this is going on for Naomi. But in the midst of this messy moment in her world, don't you think Naomi would have loved if someone came and quoted that verse to her? Because you know what? When I was driving in my car, contemplating my next employment opportunities, God took this verse and ministered it to my heart. He said, yeah, you know, you could lose heart, but you believe you'll see my hand at some point. So wait upon me. Be of good courage. God will strengthen your heart, wait upon him. And I think that that's a word for some of us today. I think some of us need to take our pens and write Psalm 27, 13, and 14 on our arms. Because your messy life happens in context, but your messy life isn't the whole story. And if you wait upon the Lord and you're of good courage, you let God strengthen your heart and you wait upon him, you will see his goodness 
this side of eternity. But for many of us, the messes draw us away, leave us hopeless. Now, from there, we start to see how things begin to unfold. In verse 6, it says this, Then she, speaking of Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore, verse 7, she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb? that they may be your husbands. Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they are grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters. For it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. And left. Now, lots is going on here. So Naomi hears that now the famine is over in Judah, that the Lord has given them bread. Don't miss that, right? That now there's bread in the house of bread. Just like in the perfect time God sent Jesus, there was a spirit, and at the perfect time God sent bread to the people. So Naomi hears this, she brings her daughters-in-law and she wants to go back. But then Naomi realizes that the situation for not only for her, but for her daughters-in-law is a very vulnerable situation. Now, a woman in that culture without her husband and without sons is considered a widow and is in that culture was incredibly vulnerable. Because it was long before a day and age where women worked outside of the home and all these type of things. So the protection for a single woman without a husband and sons was precarious. And now she's got her two daughters-in-law. So Naomi thinks to herself, you know what? I need to say goodbye to these women. They're in Moab. Before she goes back to Judah, she says, I want to say goodbye to my daughters-in-law. But the way that Naomi does it is absolutely amazing. Because look at what she says to them. Right? She says to them, Go and return to your mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of his husband. So she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and they wept. Jesus is. Have you ever had a day where everything goes wrong and you just want to quit? In today's message, Pastor Daniel addressed those kinds of days through the story of Ruth. When you place the days where everything is going wrong into the hands of the Savior, they can become the most beautiful moments of growth. He is our oasis in a dry, parched existence. He is where we can sit down, rest, and be refreshed. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel, and I want to be honest with you for a moment. Life is messy. 
And the hard reality is, if it isn't messy for you now, it will be, and it probably has been in the past. Did you know that you can still thrive in tough times? It's true, but only through the power of Jesus. That's the purpose behind my book, Honestly. I want you to know how to keep living your best life in Jesus, no matter the circumstances. You can find out more about it and get your own copy at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, I wanted to remind you that each day on Facebook, Pastor Daniel shares a simple two-minute message. In this message, Pastor Daniel draws out an important biblical truth that really helps set your day on the right path. So be sure to follow Pastor Daniel Fusco on Facebook and share these two-minute messages with your friends and family. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will dive into the messy existence that is the setting of the story. Naomi faced famine, becoming a refugee, the loss of her husband, and the loss of her sons. But you have a messy setting to your story as well, don't you? Next time, you'll learn how to allow Jesus to be the Lord of your messy life. Watch him bring into existence the things that he wants for you. You've been listening to Jesus Is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series called Oasis. Until then, may God, until then, may God bless.